0: My goodness me, here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Grassroots, a deep dive on women's grassroots rugby. In this episode we take a look at the laws we all hate, losing, and we welcome Rachel and Brian from Skipton Roses Rugby Club. This podcast will be like sitting in the clubhouse bar with a pint after a game. And we hope you enjoy it.
0: 22 months with a triple knee
1: operation. She runs in, tries for five. She has got a remarkable strike rate.
2: And I'm Jodie, The forward who can't stop scoring.
1: And Molly.
3: The cannonball coming
1: through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots.
2: Match once where there was a 22 dropout, and out of all 30 players on the pitch, there was only one person who knew what that was.
3: It's got to be those Patrick boots everyone wears that they get from Sports Direct. First time they come to training, all excited and all fresh.
1: <laughs> so, welcome Laura, nice of you to turn up.
3: Ah, thank you for having
1: me. I like the fact that you got the invite initially, thought to yourself, yeah, that sounds shit. Gave it a couple <laughs> of weeks to, make, to see whether it actually started to take off a lot. I saw the listening figures and thought, yeah, I'll have a piece of that and turned up.
4: Yeah, I thought, you know, this is my chance to become a celebrity now. I've seen (laughs) how well the first episode has done.
1: (laughs) So Laura, do you want to introduce yourself to the millions of listeners then?
4: So I only started playing three years ago. So I've actually only played one full season. So uh, I'm probably still relatively new to the game and and quite a a novice, I'd say, compared to you guys. So I'm going to be 40 this year. So I only started when I was 37. So probably a lot later than, you know, the professionals uh, really, really start. But uh, (laughs) I really like quite contact and kind of physically challenging sports. So I've done all sorts of kind of different sports. And then I've thought about playing rugby for years and years and years. And I had started a new job and it was kind of taking over my life. And so Sean, who's my husband, is like, you need to do something that is not work. So we Googled and found crew Antwitch, and uh, it took me about three weeks to actually make it so i kind of contacted you matt and then i was like oh yeah i'm really busy tonight i'll go next week i haven't made it back in time i'll go next week so i'm quite like a confident person but it took me 3 3 weeks to actually go and turn up at the uh, at the club but i've loved it and i yeah i haven't looked back so i've re- really an amazing group of women and absolutely love the game really really uh, enjoy the physical side of things but also the social and the supportive aspects of it as well. So, yeah, absolutely love it.
1: If you were to isolate the one thing you feel like you've gained from it above all else, what would you say it is?
4: Probably, like, a fantastic group of friends who... All live around the same area so most of my friends are from university or from home so they're not really around here and I wasn't necessarily expecting to kind of make so many friends with people from whole you know all different backgrounds all different age ranges things like that so it's been yeah it's been amazing and I absolutely love the rugby as well so it's you know for me it's not just about the social side of things I love kind of learning how to play the game challenge of sides that we know are gonna be difficult to play and kind of learning about how we can beat them and, and things like that. So so yeah, it's but for me it's the group of women and ladies that I play with.
1: A question to all of you actually what's been the hardest thing to actually pick up in the game itself? Because it is a technical sport. It isn't necessarily the most intuitive game from coming into it from the outside.
2: Well for me I came from league. Personally changing over from league to union was just a lot different. I remember my first game, I wasn't presenting the ball and then I got told off by the ref for holding onto the ball. I was like, what are you talking about? That's not a thing. So that was a hard thing for me to understand that you had to present the ball. Hold on. Are you from the Sherry School of Rugby? I'm from the League School of Rugby. I did a bit of a stint back at League after I joined Union, just for like summer to help out my old team. And I started presenting the ball and the team kept just like going, what's she doing? But yeah, I was like, oh, sorry, I forgot. Yeah, it's hard to go from one to the other, like straight away, fluidly. You've got to like stop and think.
1: Laura, how about you? And obviously, you know, going into the game brand new, it's very difficult. So what did you find most challenging?
4: Obviously the laws of the game. There's still those that I don't really understand. But apparently yeah, they're quite fluid anyway, <laughs> our interpretation of them. Even to start with, understanding what all the positions were. And so people going, oh, are you a forward or a back? whereabouts do you play? I was like, I don't know. I don't know any of this. Mm -hmm. You literally turn up and you go, the only thing I know is to run forward, pass back. That's it. So I think that was the the biggest thing for me was just having to learn everything about it. When you're brand new, you don't really worry too much about the laws of the game because you just run until somebody tells you to stop running. And, And that's about it, really.
1: Liv and Molly, you've been playing the game a very long time, the pair of you. There are always laws that don't necessarily seem intuitive or change or things that you just can't get your head around, even though you've been playing ages.
3: This season, obviously, there's been the 50-50-20 thing, which I'm still baffled by. I think each season, when a rule that you've always known changes and you can't do that anymore, that can be really difficult. So, obviously, the breakdown's changed this year massively on the back of COVID. You can't kind of linger around the breakdown anymore, which is one of my fave things to do. And I think each season as the laws develop and change that can sometimes be difficult to get out that mindset of i've always been able to do this and now i can't
1: yeah you do some things that that are so embedded in habit even a subtle change can really throw you out can't it so you you played a lot of your career in the front row in in the scrum where laws are at best interpreted (laughs) by nasa what was the one that, or you know, or, or the or the areas of that particular part of the field that you you constantly got caught out by, or just thought this is stupid? I don't get it.
5: I think it was a fairly fluid arrangement of what the rules were, based on which side the ref was and which side I was <laughs> propping on,
1: <laughs> whether he was watching or not. Basically,
5: yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the case of what you can get away with when the ref's not looking. <laughs> but. Don't even ask me about laws and rules. I mean, we did some scrummaging coaching the other week. I'm saying crouch, bind, hit. What is it? Crouch, bind, set. I can't even remember that. Which one is it? I said something different each time. So I know what to do. Don't ask me to explain it.
1: I know. I always used to absolutely hate the rule about truck and trailer. Where you're in a mall situation. I still, even now, don't really understand it, but there's a particular interpretation where you can accidentally be called accidentally offside in a situation where players are bound on. It's like, this is stupid. Why one day is it fine, next minute it's not? But again, it comes down to referees, I think, doesn't it? Um, yeah, more that whole that later, latching on
2: no thing changed. It was a recent game we said we can't latch on, and then we're like, we can.
3: It was just a really shit ref. You know,
0: right.
3: Sorry, I, I, there's nothing I can say. No, hands up to all the refs that volunteer and, and spend their time reffing our very difficult game. But no, Jodie, that was a load of
1: bollocks. Mm.
2: Don't get on the wrong side of Molly. <laughs> She'll boot you with a the ball.
1: There's a massive difference between latching on and catapulting your fellow players at <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah. Through some kind of slingshot effect, which is, I think, what we were trying to do. So whilst that ref perhaps was a bit overzealous, there's also a, <laughs> a safety and fairness element to it as well. This is rachel and brian from skipton ladies you're a a grassroots women's rugby team and you're joining us on the podcast today to tell us a little bit more about your team and the journey that you've had so far and the experiences that you're taking into next season so welcome to you both
0: thank you
1: you. You tell us a little bit about your team
0: well skipton roses came about as a result of a mum a young one attended minis and juniors asking if we could have a, a ladies team being a coach i sort of said "Yep." Only stipulation I sort of said was I need minimum of seven, you know, and that the drive was from her to sort of push people to get here. So I run a couple of an hour and a half, taster sessions, which then led into some social in the clubhouse, et cetera. Uh, And from that, I got, got six. That was in March 2019. And by September 2019, through what we'd done with the six I had, I think I ended up with 12, 13 at my first training session in september wow and we just grew
1: from there fantastic and rachel you're one of those players yeah did you have any rugby experience prior to to having a go with brian and his ladies
6: no never we played a little bit at school but there was never really any contact never never even watched a game oh
1: really so what possessed you
6: I think just because I wanted to start a new hobby. I wanted to go out and meet new people because I didn't go to uni and there was a lot of like my friends from school, they'd gone off. So I was like, I need to do something with my time. And then my babysitter from when I was little, she posted on Facebook that she'd gone down to the training session. I was like, oh, I'm going to go down. So I went with my friend and yeah, I just loved it. It was great.
1: And did you have any experience of other sports prior to having a go at rugby?
6: I played a bit of tennis, rounders, but. Nothing, nothing competitively.
1: Brian, so it, tell me a bit about the Skipton Rugby Club then. You know, I'm, I'm guessing it's an established club. We, we've been over there as a, as a side ourselves for a playoff game against uh, Bishop Auckland to win the league, which at the time would have been National Challenge 2, I think. And then we travelled over to Skipton as a neutral venue, only to find that we'd forgotten our kit so Brian and, and his gang very kindly dug out a, a mishmash of <laughs> Newton's shirts from a store cupboard somewhere that were all different shapes and sizes and different logos and all the rest of it. But you very much saved the day for us. So you got some rather comical pictures of a rather ragamuffin bunch of ladies playing rugby in a, in a very important match, which we thankfully won. You won that. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah thank you very much for that. It was, it was very important that you managed to help us out. But no, tell me a bit about Skipton Rugby Club.
0: Well, Skipton's been around a long time. I think it's one of the longest-established rugby clubs in the country. Beautiful first-team pitch, two training pitches, sort of second-team pitches, uh, in the on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales. We presently put out a a men's first team and hopefully for a second team. And then obviously we've introduced the ladies. I've been there 17 years. I can't picture any as ever having a ladies team. So actually, you know, it's brought a new, massive new dimension to the rugby club and for the better as well, which is absolutely brilliant. And it's pushed the guys and spurred the guys on a little bit. The ladies for several months have sort of just been leading the way in numbers, attending
1: training, etc. And Rachel, how have you felt that as a, as a female rugby player, you've been welcomed into Skits and Rugby Club?
6: It's been really nice. Last year in lockdown, when we could start training again, we started joining with the men and we did some ready for rugby games. And that was just great. We've become friends with the men. And it's really nice to be able to like interact with the other teams because women's teams that I know from around here, they don't really know who the men's team are. So it has been really nice because we've we basically just got another team of coaches there uh, because they do h- help us out. Yeah, it's really a proper little family going on. It's lovely.
1: The success of ladies' teams is, is all down to how the wider clubs support it. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I think the clubs where they've had to go it alone and have had to sort of try and budge their way through uh, creating a team in the season and so on, it, they struggle. So, Rachel tell me about your first training session then what was it you know you mentioned you had a great time
6: yeah I'm not really a very well I am now but when I first started I was really shy and I didn't really speak um and I made my friend come down with me even though she had no interest in being there at all (laughs) and I had absolutely no idea what we were going to be doing but everyone was just so nice and friendly and like that's I think that's the thing about the Roses team, like that's what everyone says about us that we're so friendly. So we did just like some of the basics like rucking and stuff, a bit of tackling. It was just a really good little intro to it.
1: You mentioned that you you were quite shy and you know, before you you joined the (laughs) side. How do you think rugby has impacted you personally?
6: Massively, yeah. My confidence has proper grown and like it's not just at rugby, like people at work have said that. Yeah, I'm sure, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
6: yeah, it definitely has had a really, really positive impact on, like, everyday life.
1: And what yeah. do you put that down to?
6: I think just, like, the encouragement from coaches and other players. I think we've focused on, like, the social side as well, not just playing games. So, we've, like, we're a really, really close team and we love going out. We don't just meet up for training. We go out on a weekend and we go watch other rugby games yeah, we've just bonded and got really
1: close. We often talk about finding our tribe. When you find that group of people that fit with your personality and like-minded people around you, it can be life-changing, can't it? And we we Mm. don't don't think we celebrate that enough. So, Brian, coaching women's rugby is not the easiest at times, is it?
0: It was my first coaching role, having only been qualified three years and sort of getting on a bit as well so it for me you have to go back to the basics you have to look at every aspect of it it's also talking about the posture and uh, and the level of fitness and so i would recommend it to anybody that's where you need to start is is women's rugby the coaching is the commitment from every single woman that sort of put their hands up and said i want to give rugby a, a go it is beyond belief to be honest, middle of lockdown when we could come back, as I say, I were in 2021. Uh, training week in, week out because they come from a non-playing background or a large percentage of them come from. They don't have any preconceived ideas and they just soak up absolutely everything you tell them and follow it to the letter, which ultimately leads into them being better players and they're getting the fundamentals right then hopefully that stands them in good stead.
1: The, the one thing that really staggered me was was the commitment of the players from from day one. They're going to be wrong, there are challenges uh, and it is difficult as a male coach sometimes to to translate that 20, 30 years of playing experience into words, phrases, drills, games, enable you to (laughs) to, to teach it from the very much bottom up. Um, Those habits are sometimes deeply ingrained, aren't they? It's not what you coach. It's the wording you use to coach it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I remember once I
0: was dreading that, you know, I was going to spend a session doing passing. You and I know, obviously, it's case we're going to do some ball handling skills. And that just doesn't so, sound like going from a male coach to 20 women. It just, anyway, like, but fortunately, I got to
1: wear it because I said it, I could see us smirks. So I thought, <laughs> There's no comments. Actually, I've got over that hurdle. Definitely. So Rachel, you tell me about the, the season coming up there. Where are you at as a team and what are your ambitions?
6: So we've had a couple of friendly games. We did 10s at Skipton and we went over to Ilkley to do 7s. That was a nice little run out and warm up for us. And then I think we've got a friendly game at Kendall in a couple of weeks. That'll be really good because a lot of the players are really new and they've like never played games before. So it was a really good opportunity for us to gel in get that dynamic of a team and then i think the season starts in october yeah so yeah i think we're all really looking forward to it like we've all cleared our calendars and said you know no i'm not doing anything with you <laughs> it's rugby time
1: in league, are you going, you're going into a league this year then yeah
6: yeah
1: which league are you, are you going into we're moving into national challenge three okay which is a, which is a step up from in a warrior yeah to women's rugby the one thing that i loved as a coach was that you could put release all the fixes on, on day one and you knew that they'd all be putting people's Diaries on the day on yeah. day one you know so rachel t- you know tell me about your team and there must other you know there's some real characters in it you know is there anybody in your team that um, makes everybody laugh
6: Oh, we've got we've got a couple of jokers <laughs> it's always such a laugh at training. we had a couple of players come over from like Lancashire way because they just saw his training and saw how friendly they were and they were like yeah okay well we're we're moving now um, and they've been like a really great addition they've they've been playing for a good couple of years so they've passed on their knowledge that's been really good and they're all like they're they're loud characters they're really funny (laughs) really really great additions
1: in terms of the technical aspects of the game what have you found the most difficult to to pick up and learn
6: i think maybe like the line outs and like trying to work out all our calls and stuff it's like herding cats
1: in terms of you know one of the, the things of our podcast is We love the little stories of funny things that happen or where things are just a little bit rubbish. You know, what have you had at Skipton that would fit into that category, do you think?
6: I think probably our our last game at Sevens, I think our drop kicks were mainly just drops. (laughs) We need to work on the the kicking side. That wasn't
1: great. no. yeah, dropkick is very difficult, though, isn't it? I've yeah. had it for half all my life, and like you know, I I can't <laughs> pretend I've ever had a a, a fully functioning dropkick. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, it tends to go everywhere. Brian, right, as a coach, then what what is coaching the roses given to you personally?
0: Fun, fun, and enjoyment every time. As uh, whether it's reading a chat group that they're in, seeing them on a Monday, or arranging and getting them to a, to a game, uh, as uh, it just brings me. A real amount of enjoyment, and that was what it was all about. And it's always been my favourite, favourite for playing rugby was enjoyment. Uh, and like yourself, if I can give the Roses and all of them and their families a little bit of what I've experienced through rugby,
1: that's a, a tick for me. Yeah, great message and certainly echoes my experience. So, Rachel, if somebody's listening to, to this and was thinking, oh, you know, I really fancy it, but I'm a bit nervous or, you know, I'm not sure whether it's right for me or, you know, I'm a bit concerned about the contact or this sort of stuff, what would you say to them to, to get them to, to make that step?
6: I think you've just got to try it. Like, you you can't know if it's for you unless you get down to the pitch and have a go at it. And, like, we are such a friendly bunch, so if people did come down and they, they didn't even enjoy playing it. They get added to the WhatsApp group and, you know, they'd they'd be welcome at any socials. Like, it's not just about the rugby, it is the fun side to it as well.
1: Well, thank you so much to both of you for, for joining me today. I really enjoyed the chat and really best of luck for the new season. We'll be following your progress. Anyway, recent game, how did it go?
3: I was actually the only one that played, I think. Really, really good just to get back out on the pitch, first of all. It was just really nice to be able to play a proper game of rugby really, really nice hospitality from Kenilworth. I can't remember the exact figure that we raised, but it was it was a really good number for the Shine A Light charity for Jess Pardo. So that was the main thing. It was just a hard graft. Kenilworth were outstanding, really good line speed. Did some cracking backs moves. And I think we were just a bit rusty out of the blocks, to be honest, but lots of positives to take from it. And I always say that although a heavy loss feels quite crap the next day and maybe even Monday and Tuesday while you're still lugging yourself out of bed, it's probably a good thing to take into the the rest of pre-season to work from a platform.
1: Laura, Lou, Jodie, you guys have all been involved in some big wins, but also some unpleasant losses over the years. Which is the loss that really sticks in your mind?
5: For me, there's been two the first one was my first ever game of rugby years ago and um <clears throat> so i say that
1: again <laughs> that you slowly just articulate yourself a bit more <laughs> was it 30 years ago
5: no it was not 30 <laughs> years ago thank you that's it <laughs> it was oh god 20 something years ago i'd never played rugby before it turns out No one on our university women's side had either. We're all freshers and we played St. Mary's Sports College as our first fixture. And we literally got our asses handed to us on a plate, 120 nil. Is that like the
2: modern day Loughborough? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a a spanking. (laughs) It was a serious It's interesting you bring that up. Why have you brought that one up particularly?
5: It's the one that just sticks in my mind. And actually, it was the one that made me more determined to carry on playing rugby. I thought, oh, my God, that's not going to happen to me again. No way. Mm. And so when I think this, this is follows in the trend of any match that I've played that I've been defeated in, it makes me more determined. Like, that's not going to happen again. So this went wrong. That wasn't great. Oh, that could have been better. I'm going to work on that for next time. And that's not happening again. No way. The more defeats that I've been through, the more determined I've become.
4: Well, I haven't got the 30 years of experience of playing that Lou us. <laughs>
5: right, well, you all stop it. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't possible. I'm only 36.
4: <laughs> I mean, the benefit of playing for a very good side is that I haven't been involved in that many losses uh, that are like 100 nil. So there's a couple, I suppose. So last season... Losing to Sunderland right at the start of the season. We'd driven up to Sunderland, so that's a a fair way to travel. We didn't have a lot of subs. Some idiot decided to take out one of our other players, Jodie. (laughs) So we, we did end up losing... But we learned loads from that game so that when Sunderland came to play us at the end of the season, one of the areas that we really struggled was the scrum. When we played at Sunderland, they really dominated the scrum. But then when they came to play us, we'd really worked on it through the season and, and we were really dominant in the scrum and we won. So that was a, a really great kind of turnaround, I suppose. And then the only other one that really stands out for me is the Man mainly because it was just it was just a fun trip for a start off but the game was horrific because you're playing on the top of this blooming mountain where there's like driving wind everyone was like freezing to death and nobody really cared about the score by the end because you were just like i just need to get warm because i'm so so cold but yeah those are the kind of two things that i remember the most
1: that game was the vagabonds are you know getting a great club great atmosphere and all the rest of it but you should be used to in the northwest playing in a bit of rain a bit of wind but But there, it just seems to be triple, quadruple anything we're used to. It's just horrendous, isn't it?
5: It's like you're playing on top of a mountain with horizontal rain and gale-force winds. Every time. It doesn't matter when you go and play there. It's every time. You know, it's windy
2: when the sticks are basically at a (laughs) 45-degree angle constantly because of the wind.
1: Molly, obviously, you've been involved in plenty of games over the last few years. Is there a particular loss that that really sticks in your throat?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say, going back to last week's episode, Lou, the wetsuit could be the way forward for the Isle of Man next time we go.
5: Happy to lend it. I got this wetsuit, but during lockdown, I may have porked out a little bit. So the fact that I couldn't even move in my wetsuit might hamper the rugby playing ability.
1: You can get pretty sweaty in them as well, can't it?
5: The only problem yeah. I see
2: is that, you know, when we've got short, sh- shirts missing and when you're changing over subs and you've got to change over shirts, <laughs> that's going to be a bit difficult in a wetsuit.
1: Can you not just put a shirt over the wetsuit?
3: <laughs> I'm not sharing my wetsuit with anyone.
1: I need to. I think there could be some serious chafage in, in a wetsuit though if you've got a bit of a sweat on. If it started off raining, I get you
3: the
2: out. You'd have to get the towel Whenever out, you? I used to go like scuba diving in a wetsuit, no matter how many times they tell me, they say, don't piss in it. So I'd worry about that. I'd be playing rugby and just pissing it. <laughs>
3: Lovely. And this is a moment where we need to mute Jody. Yeah, so I think my loss would be, I was under 18, Sambach, and we were in this cup, and it was the semi-final, and if we got through, we were going to go play at Twickenham. Oh, no. And... Performed really well. We'd beat everyone. We'd absolutely thrash them. And there was this one particular player on the team, which I shall not reveal because people will know her, who actually got red carded 60 minutes in. We were no. kind of 25 points up, really doing well. And because we had that last 20 minutes without that one player who was amazing, but just lost ahead in the heat of battle, we actually lost by three points and oh never got God. to go to Twickenham. Ouch. Um, and that was. Yeah, that's to be bad. honest, that was one of the reasons that I don't like fighting, because if uh, she'd held her cool and not started fighting, we would have actually got to Twickenham. So yeah, not it hurt like hell.
5: I think we have to talk about one specific loss, Stidsbury. Oh God. It was such a beating, unexpected beating, that it, it caused ripples in, in our club, I think.
1: So that's one of the reasons I actually wanted to talk about it today, because... Right now, teams are getting to the end of their pre season periods and they're starting to, to play games. So there'll be a few out there that are having friendlies and the league game. When's the first league game? Must be soon, is it?
5: Most around the 26th.
1: 26th of September. When you're in pre season, you're in a bubble. As a coach, unless you've had a shocker, which is usually quite rare, I'd say, you go into the pre season period. You know, you get new players, the sun's out sometimes. The momentum builds, it starts off a bit low-key, and as you start cranking it up towards the end of August and September, things start coming together. You start getting a few people back off holiday. You start seeing some people that have maybe been playing other sports over the summer period coming back into the squad and that. And you get this false positive about everything being rosy. And that game you just mentioned Ellie, is the one where, as a coach, I got the biggest wake-up call of my life, and I think as a team we did as well. Because we were thinking we were, you know, we were pretty good, really fit on top of everything. And then we went over to Didsbury and whatever they were doing, it was, it was better than what we were doing. And it, it all went horribly yeah, wrong.
5: It was a massive shock. Massive we shock. We thought we were the bollocks. We thought we were looking really good, dead fit. We got our shit together. And we went to Didsbury and totally out of the blue, or so we thought, totally out of the blue. We got it handed to us. There were intercepts. There were, they were on fire. There was everything. And we were literally stood on the pitch going, what the hell is happening here? Where did this come from? And actually, it was a really good and needed wake-up call, actually, just to realise, actually, probably we weren't quite as good as we thought and we need to go back to the club and we need to work on some stuff. And that's not a bad place to be in, I don't think, just at the beginning of the season.
1: No, at all, no. So there would be a few teams out there. Right now, you're going to have a bit of a shock to the system when you start playing rugby. But I guess the message for anyone out there listening is, look, it's kind of normal. It's a good thing sometimes. Uh, Try not to get your head down too much.
4: I didn't play Kenilworth last weekend, but I I, I was chief water technician. um, and
1: uh, (laughs) Dropped, basically.
4: (laughs) (laughs) In trouble for something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was able to watch the game, which was really useful. But I also did, I videoed some of it as well. And I think sometimes when you're kind of, involved in the loss you kind of it hits you really hard and you don't see as much of the positives that come out of it but because I'd videoed some of it I was like actually yeah there there were some things that we definitely needed to learn in terms of how we responded to stuff but actually if you watched the videos during the game we did start to do that during the game which is really positive that we started to react and respond and also we were able to look at how Kenilworth played and say okay I see why now what they exploited in relation to kind of space and and things like that. So you can learn so much from that, from, you know, the losses. And, you know, you won't necessarily learn something from beating them 100 nil. You're better off playing somebody that's kind of evenly matched and really kind of understanding or, or, you know, slightly better or or you're slightly better than them and, and kind of playing around with new things. So I suppose it's, yeah, it's trying to take the positives out of that. What, what feels like a really
1: tough yeah. loss. I think it's good in a, in a season to have a balance of fixtures because I think one thing that's got a lot better in the women's leagues, isn't it, is that there are more teams, more competitive teams and, and therefore more players now. So there isn't so much polarisation within the league. If we go back for three or four years, there'll be two or three teams in each league that were winning every game, apart from against each other. And some teams were getting whooped eighty 0 every time. And that's changed massively because I think if you're losing 18-0 every time, you're not going to want to keep turning out. If you're winning 15-0 every time, you think you're immortal and actually you're not. So in terms of how you individually cope with and how you feel after getting beat, what goes through your heads when you come off the field?
3: I either am really angry at myself or other people and not generally my teammates kind of it'll be in my head like I've not prepped properly or I didn't get enough breakfast or I was feeling a bit tired today. And I tend to take it out on the people that I care about the most because I, in my head, I've worked so hard. But then after the day after that, I can quite Quickly go, oh, well, we did do that well. We did do this well. Uh, And then we build, but I have to go through the motions. I wouldn't say it's a grieving process, but it kind of is. I have to go through that stage of either crying, which is pretty standard for me, being really angry, but then I'm really positive to my other teammates about how they've performed. And I just can't visualize that myself about my performance. So I think I'm quite positive to other people about how they've done and things they've done well, but I struggle to do that for myself but given kind of one two days after then I can start to see that and I go through that same cycle every every game whether it's a win or a loss so it's not specific to a loss. Yeah.
5: yeah, I know it's the bad times when I've phoned you, Molly, after a loss and even two to three days later, you're still absolutely raging.
3: <laughs> yeah, but it is it is just a process and I, I've, I've always been that way for the last 18 years. So I can't see, unless I get a sports psychologist, anyone out there, I can be a case study. <laughs> yeah, like... I'm like, damn, I should have left it another day. <laughs> yeah, Louise has to leave me at least three days before she can make that phone call. <laughs> yeah.
1: Haven't you got a degree in psychology though, Molly?
3: Yeah, not sports psychology. (laughs) If anyone's got any mental health problems or they want to know about Freud, I can do that. But when it comes to sports psychology, uh, not my bag, soz.
1: (laughs) Jodie, how about you? You know, how do you mentally deal with getting whooped?
2: My sort of opinion of myself changes depending on how I've performed in that game. So, win or lose, if I feel like I've had a good game, then a loss wouldn't affect me. But if I feel like I've had a shit game, even if we've won at the end, then that will affect me. I'll beat myself up about it.
1: It's interesting you comment there about how you feel about yourself. It's interesting you you attach that much to it, really.
5: No, you become hypercritical of your own performance, I think. Win or lose, you think, oh my God, I only touched the ball three times. Uh Oh, I didn't make that tackle. or I dropped it on and they scored. That's the stuff that I think you remember personally from any match, actually, not just a loss, which is what you're saying, isn't it, Jodie?
2: Yeah. I think when the people say at the end, oh, who do you think is the like top top player and stuff? I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know because I was only giving a shit about my own performance. <laughs> I, only, I only cared about how bad or how good I was doing at that moment.
1: Just me, me, me with you, Jodie, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I'm really selfish. It's, and so self though, you know, like we forget, we, we don't practice rugby more than twice a week, most of us. And then we expect to go out onto the pitch and perform exceptionally when we've probably all been out the night before or we've kind of been working all week. Or, or some of those are done night shifts and then we come and play the next game and we expect to be amazing. But, you know. Even professionals who get all their time dedicated to rugby will go out and throw a really shit pass or they'll miss three tackles and, and they get scrutinized. But we get scrutinized and we're too hard on ourselves when actually we are trying to have fun. But I think if you're a perfectionist like us, <laughs> um then, then you just you expect yourself to be that good and uh it's not always possible. I used to
1: find as a player that the technical parts didn't bother me so much. So as a fly half if I missed a couple of kicks or threw a couple of wild passes, it never used to bother me that much because I guess I, I knew how to fix it and sometimes you're just a little bit off, you, off target, I guess. But I used to get really down on myself if I knew I hadn't fronted up physically. So I don't know about you guys, but you know, if I was facing a situation where you know, a one-on-one tackle or I had a back row running at me down 9-10 down channel or something and I bottled the tackle, then that used to get in my head for a long time after the match. Actually, it'd be interesting your thoughts on this. Obviously, Laura, you're you know, similar age in a way, but you know, you haven't been playing as long. The other thing that I found difficult is as I got older, the, the fact that my brain wanted to do things my body would no longer let me, that used to get on my head. So I had a, felt like I had a bad game and I knew that I was just off the pace physically or whatever.
5: I used to try and give it everything when I was on the pitch. And I don't think that's an age thing, but it used to really get to me when I snapped my ACL but I didn't know I'd snap my ACL properly I just thought yeah I just torn it a bit and it'll repair and I tried to play for a season and what really got in my head was that I was trying to play and I was trying to train but I just couldn't do it that was the most frustrating thing I think I've ever come across in in, in yeah. rugby ever Not because it wasn't in my brain, because, oh my God, I'm so determined sometimes, but I just, just, my leg didn't work. It used to get me down. Get over it now. I'm not playing.
1: So so, so Laura, from your perspective, obviously, you know, you're you're new to the game, you've been around some very good players and some players who who are relatively new to it as well. How did you feel in terms of nerves and your personal expectation when you're on a, a fairly steep learning curve, but also playing in a team that depended on you in some areas.
4: I get nerves really, really badly. So generally, I'm quite loud, but when I'm really I'm nervous, I like go very, very quiet. So I just don't talk to anybody. I struggle to eat on the drive to the club. I don't talk to anybody. I just kind of sit there and. I'm really, really quiet. So I really I do struggle a lot with the nerves, even though I know I'm only one person in a in a team of of loads. But yeah, you, you kind of focus on the little things that you do. And as Lou said, like, oh I I feel like I didn't really get that involved or I should have really made that tackle or and things like that. I don't I think for me I I kind of I wish I'd started younger, I think, so that I I'd had more time to learn all the things. So like now I'm trying to learn how to do front row and hooking and, and things like that. And I think when it's certain situations like that, I feel a lot more pressure because I'm like, oh, if the line outs are rubbish, then I kind of feel like, oh God, that's my fault. You know, I, I did the terrible, you know, my, my throwing was rubbish. Whereas when I was in the second row, I kind of felt Well, I'm not on my own here. There's me and another player. So if the scrums are struggling, it's probably not just me. So I think maybe the position as well has a bit of a a role to play on kind of how much you beat yourself up. But I mean, I'm terrible. I I don't remember any of the games. I come off the pitch and I can't remember anything at all about uh, anything. So I suppose that does help a bit. (laughs) (laughs)
5: I'm so with you there, Laura. Honestly, I mean, listening to some of the old coaches and they're like, oh, God, yeah. Do you remember that match? And then this happened, then this happened, and this happened. I'm like, where was that again? I probably remember the changing rooms more than I do (laughs) the actual (laughs) gameplay. You know, and the only things I remember are like the ridiculous things that happened or the dangerous Mm. things that happened or something odd that happened in the bar, you know. That's why you had to borrow Sherry's
1: flannel. (laughs) No, I I could remember every play of a game. Like no, no problem as a player and a coach. Yeah, it's um, it could be quite difficult actually because the games, I would find it hard to switch off and just let it go. There's a particular game that I use as a sort of motivation tool. On rare occasions, I'm in some kind of gym type building by accident. Normally, I'm trying to find the bar when I'm struggling and really needing to find that that extra bit of motivation. I actually go back to a particular game and a particular time in the game as well and i use that to keep me going
2: that's some good memory
1: this is grassroots news with lou
5: Obviously, friendlies are happening right now. We know that, like we said, fixtures don't happen till really the end of September. But what I am seeing quite a lot of is that friendly fixtures are sort of being cancelled last minute because there's a lot of shout-outs out there for teams saying, oh, you know, we've got a ref, we've got food, we've got a pitch, but our opposition's pulled out last minute. Who wants to play us on Saturday? This might be on a Wednesday, Thursday. Well, so I haven't reached out to any of these guys, I just wonder why that is. Um, Do we think it's maybe because of COVID? Do we think it's because uh, more teams have started up post restrictions and maybe, you know, they haven't quite got the numbers they were hoping? What do you think that's going to mean for the start of the season? Do you think we're going to see cancellations at the last minute because of COVID and numbers? I don't know. I think it's... It's not a worry, but it's certainly something that's on my radar.
1: Interesting. So as a coach, when we used to start the pre-season period, every single year, the players would be saying, we need to get some pre-season friendlies in the diary. We need to get out there and play. And Molly, you and I used to bicker about this because you were always the one chomping at the bit to get out there and play. And I I always used to say, no, I hate pre-season friendlies. There's always injuries and they always get cancelled.
3: There's a fine balance, isn't there, between let's play some pre-season friendlies and the reality of people being on a holiday over the summer. Obviously, COVID hasn't helped. I know we had a pre-season friendly against Stafford that unfortunately got cancelled last Friday because of two positive COVID cases. But I think if you can get some pre-season friendlies, they help massively going into the season because you get woken up to, we're not in this bubble anymore. But I do think that consistently the women's game has far more cancellations than the men's team or appears to on social media.
5: Yeah, well, maybe it's because we haven't actually seen it for over a season (laughs) and we're just not used to it anymore.
4: Yeah, I think one of the things that is probably quite different this year is obviously the impact that COVID has had. But also I think whereas when the season starts obviously there's less people going away uh, to visit family and friends and and things that they haven't seen for the last year. So I think that might also be having an impact on, okay, so you might be thinking, okay, we can field a team, but then you might have two people that might need to isolate or somebody test positive. So you haven't got the extra players because they're taking the opportunity to go and visit family and friends or or go away because they just haven't been able to do it for such a long time. So hopefully... That's a thing that's happening at the moment. But when it comes into main season, we hopefully won't have as many of those problems.
1: My take is that, you know, I've been involved in the Women's game now for quite some time, and cancellations and particularly last minute cancellations have always been a thing. And it's always been a massive frustration. And it's difficult to know quite why and what the solution is. So for me, why is a lot to do with the depth of squads and not just the depth of squad in terms of pure numbers, but also. In terms of playing competence. So, in the men's game, I'd say it's rare, perhaps that's a bit, bigging it up a little bit, but it's, it's quite unusual for you to turn up to, to play a men's game with players that are, that are not physically capable of playing rugby, i.e., they've played games before or they you know, they plan to play some sort of contact game of rugby in the past. Whereas I think in the women's game, there have been times where we've turned up to fixtures and we've got players who I've not felt are safe to be playing. And I think when you've got 15, experienced players and a couple of people that you can give 10-15 minutes game time that's an appropriate thing to do and, it, and, it doesn't, and it's a good way of easing people into the game but when you get below that 15 and you start having to put players on the pitch perhaps in technical positions that maybe aren't safe then you do start to have that discussion w- whether you should cancel it or not you know? and I don't know I'm, I'm in two minds with this I think you've got to play to gain the competence to play in a way But then you've also got to do things that are safe, I think, as well.
3: I think as well that actually with the men's game, most men's teams will have a first, second and third team, whereas the women's teams generally, to start with it anyway, will have one team. So the availability and the pool of players is already smaller. And if you're very new to the game or um, haven't had much experience and it's the men's game, you'll generally be playing in, the thirds or it may be the seconds depending and actually you're playing against opposition that are like-minded or maybe a little bit older or it's not as full-on they would never get called up to the first team for their first game whereas in the women's game there isn't an option most of the time so I definitely think that plays a part in you either play the full-on first team or you then don't play and you leave and That's why I think especially the teams that are getting those development squads uh, and the inner warrior league lower down is just going to be game-changing for the women's game.
1: Being honest, you know, and I think it needs to be said actually, is I think teams need to sort their shit out and commit to fixtures when they've said they're going to. And it doesn't take much for me to have a word with the opposition coach and the referee and say, look, we're short, we're struggling for players in these positions. Can we play 20-minute quarters, can we mix and match the teams? Can we do anything perhaps to to just even things out a little bit so that people have game time? I think winning games becomes all-encompassing for teams and for coaches. And if they look like they might go and get beaten heavily, people think too much about the impact that's going to have on the morale of the squad, not actually we just need game time.
5: As a player, I think there's nothing more frustrating than psyching yourself up for two weeks a match even if it's a friendly pre-season and then the opposition goes and bloody cancels you're like oh my god i've worked myself up mentally for that i just want to play rugby doesn't matter what it is
2: Do you remember that one where we were like we were on the bus halfway up the motorway and then we got a message on the facebook saying that they've cancelled the game
5: yeah who can remember who that was Matt, matt's probably the only one
3: <laughs> i think i know but i don't want to say because they're in our league
1: so I'm going to say now that the teams that rely heavily on uni players are the most likely to cancel fixtures. I just think it's a fact.
4: Yeah, we had that last season where I think a couple, of, a couple of teams who do rely a lot on university players, especially where there's a lot of clubs in one area, I think then that causes a bit of a problem. I think for the most part, I mean, we, I don't think we've ever cancelled a game, but I think that does also rely on ensuring that you've got kind of really good Recruitment of of new players and players who kind of moved to the area, or if you've got players who have played for you before, but maybe have moved away to university, but are coming back for the weekend and seeing if they can kind of continue to play for you. So I think part of it is on the clubs to make sure that you're kind of getting that commitment and and people really want to play. And I think that's something that we're really lucky that we do have that.
1: I think having good relationships with the clubs is does massively help. And I think teams can get a little bit adversarial with each other sometimes for sometimes for good reasons, but I don't think it, you know anything's more important than people having fun on the pitch, really. That said, I, did, I, I was considering just starting up some inter-team beefs, just for a laugh. You just sort of make some stuff up.
2: You hate Chester for a couple of years ago, didn't you? You just didn't like them. You started like... Photoshopping the whole team with guns next to him. Well, all right.
1: <laughs> no, that was. <laughs> all right, <me>. Matt. Where does <laughs> that come from? That wasn't me. That was that was Chelsea that did that. She superposed a picture of me with a shotgun next to the Chester team, which was so that was all misconstrued. It wasn't actually an issue with the team. It was an issue with the coach who had been a little bit perhaps negative about us.
5: Maybe Matt's going to edit this out.
1: <laughs> Probably. It's good to have local rivalry, but you know, I was thinking like, so I've got a random league in front of me here. So Reading Ladies we could start some, some shit up about them hating Amersbury ladies. Oh, they do. Like I've, heard I've heard that. I've
2: heard that.
4: That's know. true. Have
1: you? Have you heard that yeah. as
4: well? You two need, like, I calm down. Jodie is the yeah. kind of worst at this. She she Jodie will just make up Just make some shit, shit
1: up. So there you go. So, so Amersbury ladies this year, Reading are gunning for you. They're coming for you. They, they don't like They've you. You were really horrible stuff. to them last season. The food in your clubhouse made everybody sick. Changing range were revolting. <laughs> like they're literally coming for you next season so watch out start a few of those see how it goes
2: what until they all kill each other and then we've got no one to play against
1: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly
5: and then we'll have no listeners no
1: this is true yeah <laughs> yeah but I can edit it out so it all sounds like really serious and real and then you know this is Molly's grassroots salutes
3: So the first one is a cracker, Punt N- uh, pun is definitely intended. So um, Lincoln Ladies Rugby Team have posted a picture of their coach in a questionable tower of power position over a tackle pad and unfortunately George, the coach, I believe that's his name, has uh, actually split his trackies <laughs> over. They've posted it on Instagram so I will share that to the story and but I would like to give a grass uh, root salute to him because I think that just screams grassroots That's rugby. That's perfect. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what choice of briefs he's gone for. Like, I think they might be whitey tighties, but I'm sure they're in they're the They're not a ball
1: special with team colours or anything like that.
3: No, it's definitely white, but at least yeah. they're white. That's something, isn't it? Small victories. Um, but yeah, I thought that was good. And fair play to him for not getting it taken down. I'm not sure if... Uh, All coaches would be that way. Um, And then my other grassroots salute is to Scunthorpe Ladies, RUFC. Uh, They've had a charity dinner called Tackling It Together, where they've actually had Nigel Owens um, there speaking. um, And he was talking about his emotional battles with rugby, um, inside and outside of rugby. And it was all about kind of talking about I am enough and the different things or a struggle in life, but rugby should get you through. So I just thought that was a fantastic cause and fair play to them for getting Nigel along and uh, talking about some really difficult things.
1: Nice one. Well, so great to see such a, a big name in the game actually getting down to Grass Street's level and, and going to spread that word. You know, something I'm sure we'll cover in future episodes, the, the importance of looking after mental health within you know, our teams and within the game itself. I know I can speak from I- personal experience and say so it's helped me in the past. So, so yeah, great job Scunthorpe.
3: Yeah, Nigel's just a legend, isn't he? Though, like, 100 percent yeah, amazing. His puns and his jokes that he makes on the pitch when he was refing were priceless. Like, my favourite is when he does the line out and it wasn't straight, and he was like, "Come on, boys, that's as straight as me." Um, <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just think he's just an amazing man. Big up the Nigel.
1: Good work, Nigel. i tell say so who's also absolutely classic. Wayne Barnes' wife, Polly, Polly Barnes on Twitter is so funny. She just gives him so much stick.
5: Oh, I think I've heard
1: of that. Yeah, so there was was, was one time where he was talking about going over to Japan. Yeah, so when he was going over to Japan for the World Cup, he managed to get selected for the quarterfinals or something like that. He put a little note on saying how much he's looking forward to it and what a great honour it is and all the rest of it. And his wife just piled in basically saying, yeah, you know, and uh, I'll be at home looking after the kids. I can't wait to you know for you to come back. When I book that two week holiday with my with my girlfriends to to Majorca to, as a repayment or something like this, it's just like and literally just piles in every time he puts anything positive on there. <laughs> Pretty funny.
2: Brings him down a step. Brilliant. Go on, Polly.
1: Thanks, Molly. I was really. Takes one for the face. Catches first, preferably, and then the drive. Ooh. full in the face. The face. Look at this. very definition of taking one for the team. Oh my God. That is extraordinary. The kick lands on the head and offside is accidental. This is Every Team's Got One. Every Team Has One. So that was really popular last week. Lots of good feedback about that. The gingerbread. Although interesting, the gingerbread in question hasn't actually popped up to comment so she hasn't listened to it yet or.
5: well that's not good enough it means she hasn't listened to it no then. definitely not because <laughs> she will have definitely had something to say yeah
1: she's probably got an injured ear so she can't <laughs> listen. it's probably happened the clueless veteran so what's a clueless veteran then? you talk me through it you, you know you come up with the idea what do you mean by that
4: they don't necessarily have had been playing for years and years and years because I I think I suspect there's going to be others out there who have been playing for like a, a couple of seasons but you just think no you know you know no matter how many times you explain the lineout calls just do not get it no matter how many times you explain kind of the forwards moves and the back moves no and you just kind of have to shout at them and, and shove them around and so yeah they might have been playing for years
5: but still no what we say about that top
1: two inches, there's nothing there. There's
5: nothing there. Is this the sort of person that when you're practicing a line out and they go, what are the calls again? And this is mid season. Exactly. Or or they they
1: just run the wrong way on a penalty move. They're always in the way of something as well. So there'll be a particular call. And when I used to play in the 10, you know, you're waiting for the ball from the scrum half and there's a number eight right on your shoulders. What are you doing there? What
5: does green mean? What are you doing there? What's a green ball? <laughs> What's that? Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you mean ice?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. And as a coach, you'd be explaining a drill to the group and you can see the exact moment where their mind goes blank. You can see it in their eyes. The lights just go off.
5: They always want a demo.
1: I was used to use those players in the demo. So at least they're not irritating me and are hopefully learning something.
5: And they've had one go they've at it. They've
1: had at least one go at it. But the thing I find amazing with these players is you could be doing a repetitive drill where you just got to do the same thing five times in a row. The first two times, I'll get it. And the third time, I'll just forget. Honestly, have you been banged on the head about 20 times as a kid or something?
5: No,
2: just probably in the scrums. Yeah, they're usually <laughs> a forward as well. That explains a lot.
1: Not always. I think more likely than not, probably. But, Dubs, you, you know, you obviously you need to go. You've been around some drills that have been a bit complicated in the past, I'm guessing. When you look yeah. around and you see people that, aren't getting it and they've been playing for five years and been playing for three, I guess two questions. What does that make you feel? And secondly, what would be your advice to the team around them to try and get them to understand this stuff?
2: But
4: it makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, people are good at different things, aren't they? So some people will be able to kind of retain loads of information, but might not necessarily be good at other bits of the game. I think it's recognising that actually not everybody can be brilliant at everything. But also, I suppose, maybe making sure that you're there to support that person. For me, like, malls, I find quite confusing. In, in a game, you don't really have time to think about all of the, oh, i meant to be going here and doing this. But, like, I think it was the first training session. I just like, presenting the ball the wrong way. So there are lots of things that you do. You go, oh, God, that was a bit stupid. Generally, you, go, you have each other's backs. So you kind of go okay, I'll just shove you around a bit. I know you're not necessarily going to know. We joke about Sherry and line-out calls, but if they overthrow the ball, she's always got it. She doesn't need to necessarily know what we're going to be doing. She just knows that if the ball comes to her, she'll grab it and run. So
5: <laughs> She doesn't necessarily know what's happening next, but you know, she needs to <laughs> yeah. grab it,
1: whatever happens. To, to what, yeah. That's a good observation, though, is I think with players like that, the best thing you can do is give them one consistent, repeatable role in a particular part of the game, isn't it? So that individual would be put, make sure she was always at the back of the line out with that one instruction (laughs) and to not even
2: don't complicate it factor
1: her into driving more or any kind of defensive patterns. But, but Molly, obviously, you know, you've been playing now for a very long time, you're posting very good players and all the rest of it. How do you not get the rage when there's players around you that just don't seem to know what's going on?
3: Internally, sometimes I do rage a bit if it's the hundredth time we've to <laughs> the same person. Oh, come on. <laughs> but to be honest, because I coach as well, I try and flick from player mode to coach mode rather than take the frustration out on them. Because ultimately, it's dead easy for me to talk about a scrum or a line out and stuff because I've done it for eighteen years. When I remember when I first started playing. It was alien to me. So I think everyone starts somewhere, and I try to flick my mindset to I'm not a player at this moment, I'm a coach, and try and use it as a kind of coach practice for me. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. In my head, I'm saying, for fuck's sake, how do you not know that this is the line out? We've done this for the last 10 sessions. But then we have to remember that not everyone's been in the last 10 sessions, and people learn differently. As long as they can run forward and they can drink a pint, I'm fine with
1: Yeah. And do you know what, though? You know, th- these situations don't half cause some amusement, do they? There was one particularly amusing one going back quite a few years. A player who, who I'm going to name because she's a bit of a legend uh, in her own way. So it's Mercedes. Mercedes, if you're listening, hi. But um, Mercedes used to give us a lot of amusement. Uh, around the squad for a variety of reasons. But she was struggled a little bit in the early days to pick up the different aspects of the game. She understandable because it is so technical and complicated. I'll never forget the first game. She was absolutely crapping herself with nerves before going onto the pitch, really, really anxious about getting everything right. She got a pass in a bit of space, and she's quite a strong player. And uh, she made quite a bit of ground, and then got tackled and did everything absolutely textbook perfect. She protected the ball when she was tackled. She got into a lovely, long and strong position with only one problem that it was facing completely the wrong way. And it was just the funniest thing as a coach watching this unfold because there she was lying there waiting for her teammates to arrive. Of course, the teammates were like, what the fuck? Meanwhile, the opposition just picked the ball up and off they went around the corner and scored. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty funny. I remember seeing, you know, seeing somebody else do, do a similar thing, but rather than lying on their front, they lay on their back in a long and strong, basically sunny side up. And just got a load of boots to some rather soft parts of their body, which is pretty funny to watch as well. But you know. But I think you have to do this stuff to learn how to do it sometimes, don't you? You get it wrong first.
3: Yeah, but the clueless vets don't seem
2: to learn.
1: No.
3: Judy, now I'm gonna jump in here and say I'm not sure that you quite know all the rules yet. <laughs> so be very careful <laughs> with these veteran <laughs> comments.
2: I'm clueless, but not quite a vet yet. How many years have you got? you be playing to be classed? I think a it's vet? an age thing. I isn't don't it? know if it's
5: years or yeah, age. I think is, is it forty, Lou. You're not quite there yet. No, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not quite there. Sorry. Yeah. I can't can't comment on that.
1: Yeah, I think definitely forty is a, g- a good cutoff point. Sadly, I'm firmly in the in the vets category right now. Oh, I got but,
2: a few
4: years off.
1: Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's
4: not fair. I've been playing for three years. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I'll definitely still be clueless.
1: You get that even at, in in men's vets, you still get people that. Really, having a clue what's going on all the time. And the thing, the annoying thing about playing men's vets is that you get people that have never known the rules particularly, or they remember the rules from about 1970. So they still think it's four points for a try and all this sort of stuff. And they just can't get their head around like new stuff, particularly with like scrum engagements. So they're constantly being pinged for early engagement or going at the side or something. No, I think these characters are important to the game. So the players that, despite lots of service, still can't get it, we salute you. But please fucking listen in training. Absolutely.
5: yeah, <laughs> put your shit out.
1: He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid.
0: Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished.
1: Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby This is where
0: legends
1: are made! Shez says. I don't
0: even know how to
1: podcast of so The big challenge I had as a coach when I first started coaching New lot was trying to convey <laughs> things that you learn from the age of about eight right through to 30-odd to people that I've never played the game before. I'm Sometimes I actually never even watched the game. So some of the laws, which seem a bit confusing to me, must have been absolutely baffling to you.
7: You make it sound like they're not anymore.
1: So what was your experience of that when you first started playing?
7: Well, nothing's changed between then and now. I'm still very confused. I've only been playing for seven years. I'm still new.
1: You're thinking of the laws that you've, you've ended up on the wrong side of a few times then. Which is the one that you think, God, that was ridiculous. Why did I get pinged for that?
7: Definitely, without a doubt, the one that needs removing, playing the ball on the floor. Who invented that? It is ridiculous. I think it must stem from, because I've played netball since primary school and I still play now, in netball, if there is a loose ball on the floor, it is yours. You take it and you take people out taking it and then you've got it and you play on. That should be a thing. Why? Why can it not be whoever gets there first? What is this? Don't play the ball on the floor rule. It's balls.
1: So let me just clarify something here, Sherry. Right. So the incident in question.
7: Incidents? There's more than one.
1: That I seem to remember. It wasn't like somebody dropped it and you went from an onside position to go and claim said ball. From memory, you crawled on your hands and knees through a mall, yeah. popped up <laughs> on the other side, and then scooped the ball backwards from your knees to our team.
7: But I was willing to do it. I put my neck on the line. This is what I'm saying. If you're willing to put in the effort and go that extra mile and get the ball,
2: surely the reward is the ball. You know, releasing the ball, you don't do that ever. Whenever you're taken down, you're like, no, that's mine. It's mine fair and square. And if I'm
7: stronger and I can keep hold of that fucker and they can't get it off me, it's mine to give to my team for us to play on with. I've got this thing in my brain that won't let me hand something over. I can't do it with anything. Wherever I am, supermarket, if there's a bargain, I don't care if you're 92. If I got the packet of ham before you and it's got a 75% off sticker on, it's mine. Fight me for it. And if you get it off me, you have it.
1: But in in supermarkets, there aren't offside rules in supermarkets. Well, you won't
7: win. That's how I am. I've got this thing in my brain. I cannot hand a ball over and go, there you go, you have that. Something inside me won't allow it to happen. I fought for it, and I've got it, and I'm quite happy for you to fight me back for it. But if you don't get it off me, and you probably won't, it should be mine. It shouldn't be then blow the whistle and hand it over. What have I even done wrong? I've fought for the ball and won. It's rugby for fuck's sake, not ballet. I just don't get it.
1: But it's, it's more contact. the way you fight for the ball. So okay, right. So, Joe, going back to your point, right? Somebody's made a legitimate <laughs> tackle, right? They've gone to ground. You you're now in legitimate? a strong position over the ball. <laughs> <laughs> the tackle was made legally below the waist. Yeah. The player rolled away. Below
7: the, below the player the now shoulders. has the ball,
1: and you're over it, and you're now trying to to jackal for possession, and they hang on to it. I don't understand why that is in dispute. Because surely they're infringing it's not in
2: dispute it's just this is a rule that sherry just likes (laughs) to flamps all the time and she just ignores it like i just
7: see it as it's mine fair and square i fought for it it was there and it was there for the taking and i took it so if you want it take it back don't expect me to hand it to you that is not okay
1: (laughs) are you advocating then the removal of offside
7: yeah yeah exactly that Imagine how much so, more free time the ref side, was at. So the
1: game just becomes one massive yeah. free all.
7: The ref would be freed up <laughs> to watch all the other things going on if he wasn't constantly looking for onside. You're right, Lou, you're crying. <laughs> I can't.
5: I just I don't think it's right.
7: Sherry on her
5: hands and knees onto
7: <laughs> crawling to get the ball. Yeah, well, I was more shocked at the end of it when the, the ref had the neck to tell me I'd done something that wasn't allowed. I fought for it. I've got the ball. That ball is mine.
1: So obviously for, for listeners, how would you describe your general physique, Sherry? You know, you're not a winger, Sherry, let's put it that way, are you? So, oh, I don't you want know. to
7: be. I tried that once in Chester and got a yellow card. <laughs> once I was a winger for about 15 and that? I got a
1: yellow card.
7: It wasn't anything to do with playing the ball on the floor because I didn't touch it.
1: What did you do then?
7: Well, I think I took one for <laughs> the team everyone else this is going <laughs> oh, back offside, to if the offside yeah. rule wasn't a thing yeah ah. yeah but you lot had all been offside like 25 times and I was the final straw if that rule was removed law ah. whatever you want to call it that wouldn't have happened that day and I would never have got a yellow card that's what I'm talking about it's a waste of time
1: to so going back to the process of getting the ball sherry the one thing that's always amazed me is that crawling on your hands and knees thing wasn't an isolated incident I'm always amazed how you you manage to sort of snake-like wiggle your way through piles of bodies.
7: Like some kind of
1: belly-dwelling reptile, and then the the big hand comes out of nowhere and disrupts possession. It's like get on, get back on your feet, compete for the ball legally. You win it.
7: That's what people expect you to do, and they'd be looking for that, and then they'd take you down if you do something unexpected. (laughs) They don't know it's coming, and before you know it, you've got the ball, and they didn't even know you were there yet. Remember that time at training when we were doing that (laughs) drill with the donut thing and you had to dive through it or something? Do you remember that? And I dived through the middle of it, like into a swimming pool.
1: The drill was to tackle the donut though, wasn't it? Not dive through the donut.
7: I don't actually think the drill was explained properly, to be fair.
1: This is a conversation (laughs) for another
5: day. So, Sherry, after a long time of playing rugby, I'm watching rugby. I've only been playing for seven years. That's not very long. Do you know the difference between a ruck and a maul?
7: Yeah, I think I do. But generally, when I do them, they both look the same anyway. I know which one I'm doing, but to the untrained eye, it would look like the same thing.
1: So, for somebody about to play their first game next season in a couple of weeks, Sherry, they might be faced with a situation mm-hmm. where the referee calls Rockle Mall.
7: He'd be too busy looking for the offside, won't he?
1: How would you describe those two situations to those players?
7: Nick Kennedy, <laughs> the wise man, top two inches, said to me from the beginning... There's two simple things in rugby, and that is what has stuck with me. Pass backwards, run forwards. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's it. (laughs) You can't fail. And that's what stuck with me from day one. So specifically, as long as you're running forwards and passing backwards.
1: So what happens if you're crawling on your hands and knees forwards? (laughs) Does that constitute moving forward?
7: Once you've got the ball, because you've gone to that level you get it, Yeah, once you've got the ball, in that scenario, you then make sure the ball goes backwards, not forwards.
1: When you're playing rugby, sorry, and you know all the chaos is going on around you, what's your plan? What's your strategy? How do you how do you go about making yourself useful around the pitch?
7: Well, obviously, the main plan is get the ball, because without the ball, the other team can't score a try, can they? But it's the plan of how to get the ball that seems to let me down. It doesn't always pan out properly, but Unfortunately, the ref wants to be keeping an eye on me all the time.
0: He's being hunted down by a pack of three, running towards the touchline, shuffled into the touch. Not entirely sure. Well, that, poor this is play.
1: Fantasy 15. Fantasy 15. So last time we looked at the, um, the front row and the, you know, the tight five, in fact, didn't we? When we had Dawn French, Anna Richardson, yeah. Gemma Collins, and then we had Eddie and. Nice. Patsy. Which yeah. I thought was brilliant. But I thought we're gonna need a little bit of athleticism for the back row. I'm not sure how mobile Eddie and Patsy are gonna be after five bottles of Bolly at half time.
3: <laughs> Supping it out of the water bottle. Bolly and
1: Sally, sweetie. <laughs>
3: Rather
1: than looking at celebrities, I thought we'd look at cross sports. So female sports players from other sports into the back row, which is quite difficult.
3: Well, I was thinking about this pre-podcast and I'm I'm not sure. I actually think she'd be pretty good for uh, a flanker would be Paula Radcliffe just because I think she could just keep going for the whole game. I know she's not very big, but I reckon she'd be uh, quite endurance-based.
5: Yeah, but she's endurance, not short, sharp sprints. Physical. When have you ever seen a
3: forward sprint? (laughs)
5: <laughs> oh, well, you're meant to be able to if you're a
4: flanker
5: you're trying, I'm trying.
1: <laughs> you're meant to trying.
4: Dina Asher-Smith would be pretty fast
2: or Jess Ennis.
1: yeah I think in terms of balance you need a bit of ballast don't you you need, a, you need somebody that's that's got a little bit of power about them so I like your thinking Molly of having somebody a bit of a Duracell battery probably on the on the blind side that just keeps going all game keeps getting to the breakdowns
4: what about Nicola Adams? Oh, yes. yeah, that's a
1: good shout. I like that.
4: Because she, she's going to be fit. She's a boxer. She's going to be super fit, isn't she? And she's not going to be she's not going to be
3: scared of taking a, a couple of hard hits.
1: Where would you put her, though? What position?
3: I'd say number eight. I think she's going to have to go flank, is she? She's a bit small. Eight? Yeah.
1: records you've got enough ballast.
3: I was thinking like Serena Williams. Oh, for yes. The, uh, number eight. That'd be a good shout for her.
1: That's a great shout. Big wingspan as well. Big long arms. So she could get right around the, the back of Patsy and Adina.
3: And sort them out, really, because they're going to be an absolute pain in the arse, aren't they? Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> but I, I imagine she can move pretty quick as well, can't she, Serena Williams?
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of power behind her as Lots well. Lots of
1: short, but then is she only going to be good in short sprints, though? Can she do the longer, longer runs?
3: Well, Lou's just said we just need to be able to sprint. That's why Paula <laughs> was off the table. So we need to decide what we <laughs> want to do here since when has anyone ever listened to me? Yeah, you're a forward that's a veteran, so you just need to be be quiet. Right, shut my teeth.
5: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've got a good one.
3: Yeah.
1: Victoria Pendleton.
3: Yes, yeah, she'd be very good. She's she did SAS yeah. Who Dares
1: Wins as well, and she was really she's good. She's got a screw loose as really well. She's like
3: perfect for Yeah, she's got
1: zero regard for her own personal safety.
7: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Stand up. Who
1: are we gonna put at eight? I reckon Serena Williams at eight is a great shout. I think there's yeah. there's power this size as well and she's a big girl you know she's, she's tall and strong to
5: be fair I wouldn't like to take no her no way on. no no <laughs> if we're honest no thanks I think
1: Radcliffe we're going to have to see her in some contact drills to be fair because she might go and have a ship behind the clubhouse as well Might not she because she's been known to do that
5: <laughs> oh is that what we say to anyone we're not sure about put them on the wing <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that's
2: where I started on the wing
1: yeah Adam's on one flank and then Pendleton on the other flank I think haven't we so which, who do you reckon open side
3: Pendleton uh, well, I'm going Pendleton. back to Paula. I told you, Paula. Why is Pendleton in over Paula Radcliffe?
1: Who would you want running at you foot?
3: Paula Radcliffe will get broken. Yeah,
1: okay, fine. She we'll might be able this. to
5: carry on for a long time, but not if she's got a broken leg. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> this
5: is true. Yeah. She might need to be a back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's put her on
3: the wing, all right. Yeah. Slight, slightly less contact <laughs> position.
1: <laughs> we'll put her on the bench. She could be a finisher.
3: She could be the water person. So we've got Pendleton open side? I reckon. Or Adams.
1: Adams. I don't know. I'm not a good aficionado of, of back row play. So one needs to be technical normally and one just needs to be a bit of a bit of a head case.
4: I think one needs to be faster, don't they? Yeah. They need to be able to get away to and cover more of the the pitch. So the open side needs to, to do that. Whereas blind side just needs to be there and ready to go. So I suppose whoever you think is gonna be able to move the fastest
1: Who do you reckon could win in um, the 50 meter sprint then between victoria pendleton and i mean i victoria, had to go at boxing Adams.
4: and it was the longest two minutes of my life even with rugby i think i've never been as fit as i was when i was training for this boxing match it's just insane
1: what happens if we were to put paula Paul radcliffe. radcliffe if we gave <laughs> paula radcliffe like some intensive boxing training before playing how about that would that improve That's her chances you think
3: very, she's very slight though isn't she <laughs> if you're listening Paula we need to just remember she can run marathons I cannot do that shit so fair play to fair her fair
1: play to her she's got to be pretty tough to do that
3: and if she's listening can she tell all her celeb friends how good we are at podcasting yeah
1: definitely thanks exactly very good so, so oh,
3: she likes to try
4: out on the uh, yeah,
1: kind of go on the wing you know because <laughs> that's where all the all the inexperienced players go we
5: need more uh, backs yeah we'll give her, we'll a, give go.
1: her a go give her a so I think right so Adams I reckon open side bit of a screw loose but also physical and fast so she's going to get there first Boss the breakdown and then Pendleton probably quite Pendleton see she must be quite technically gifted because she's been a cyclist uh, a jockey hasn't she she's done SAS who dares wins whatever it's called what else has she done so she must be quite switched on so she's probably quite versatile so put her at six
2: sounds good
1: uh, happy with that yeah Very good. Excellent.
2: Stupid
5: ref, stupid ref, stupid ref,
1: stupid ref. Stupid ref then.
2: The recent Sevens we played at Canuck with that ref and our final game, we were double checking. I think we had like two minutes left or even less than that of the Sevens game. Like, oh yeah, you're winning, you're winning. That's fine, you're winning. Like, you're sure we're winning? Because I'm pretty sure we're not. No, no, you're winning, you're winning. Right, okay. So we basically kicked the ball out. It must have been within, like, yeah, the last few seconds. Kick the ball out. He's like, oh yeah, we won. One comes back after the game. He's like, you've not won. You need to play on. What? Yeah.
1: Let's roll this back a bit. So this this is this a sevens tournament. Was this like an important game? As it well? was the
3: f- oh, well, it's controversy around that. Then fourth playoff, and we'd basically played them in the group stage and absolutely rinsed them. Then we played them in this playoff, and we should have actually been in the final. But again, a bit of point counting went wrong and uh, like Jodie said it was to the last play it was our penalty and I said to the ref sir are we are we winning he's like yeah definitely and I was like are you sure we'd conceded quite a few tries yeah yeah 100% checked his card and then instead of obviously taking the penalty we decided well let's just kick it out we're not running around anymore or kicked it out went off the pitch celebrated and then he come over kind of went um yeah about that win you weren't actually winning oh my god so then the other teams cheered and like our faces just changed from yeah we're furious so we had to barter with him to get us to be able to play the last play again and thankfully we managed to pull off a try but it was just a shit show really and it was quite funny watching us all be really really happy cheering to like pure rage and wanting to kill this ref
1: that's amazing you would think that one of the simplest parts of a of a ref's job would be keeping score, wouldn't you? There's lots of technical, crazy stuff goes on. Remember
2: which team was which.
1: You've got to keep your eyes on so many different things, but just writing down who scored when should be a given.
2: That's day one in ref school, isn't
1: it? I'd say so. Yeah, but- pretty ref school. That's like pre-foot qualification. The foundation degree in refereeing starts with keeping score.
3: Yeah, but again, screams grassroots, doesn't it, really? That we can't win a game without having to replay the last play because the ref can't uh, keep tabs on who's winning. I'm interested
1: in this bit about bartering with him. So when you say bartering with the ref, what what did you actually have to do?
3: I think it went along the lines of, are you fucking joking? Why Why can we not replay that point? And I think because he was so kind of like scared of me and Katie shouting at him going are you joking he was going to give the win to the other two but because we weren't on the pitch at this point shouting was definitely allowed <laughs> because he couldn't send us off because technically the clock had finished but no he he gave us a couple of options I think he said you can leave it as a draw which was never happening you can replay 10 minutes so he wanted us to basically replay the whole sevens game after we'd already played six games of sevens and drank quite a lot of beer or the other option was just to give Canuck the win and we were like absolutely not so in the end we basically came up with an agreement that we would just play the last play and I think to be fair the other team didn't think we would score but Nicole uh, I think scored the winning try. So we were a little bit smug after, after that. How's
2: after Canuck though? Because I reckon if the shoe was on the other foot, we would not let them play again. Like, no, we've won it. Fair and square. No, we're not playing. I definitely wouldn't have played. I'd be like, nah, we've got that.
3: Yeah, it was really good from then.
1: That's amazing.
3: It was really good sportsmanship from
1: them. In reverse, that would almost be even worse, wouldn't it? When you think you've won fair and square, then you told you haven't. And then you you told you have to play again. And then, yeah, and then you end up losing. That must be pretty horrendous. So, Laura, what song do you listen to that gets you up for a match? What's your pump song?
4: Ooh. Yeah, I think probably Pass Up by Tiny Temper would be mine.
1: Why that one in particular?
4: Um, I think it's just because it's quite upbeat. I think it just it kind of gets me in the... As I said, I'm not not very good pre-game. I just need to hurry up and get that uh, get onto the pitch as soon as possible. I don't I, I don't really like enjoy the the like run up to a game. I just prefer starting because <laughs> uh, otherwise the nerves just get worse and worse and
1: worse. Thanks so much for listening to Grassroots, a podcast by That's players for players. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Castbox and give us a comment. Good luck with the new season. If you would like your team featured, please get in touch. A brilliant finish! This was Grassroots, Women's Rugby on the Roots Up.